Um, should you simply tolerate them or should you um, give up their association? But then people that are just around in general, like a neighbor or something that's comes over Well, there's a couple of points that come to mind with your question. And uh, the first point, which I have emphasized in the past, is worth repeating, is that while we are mandated to cultivate tolerance, and the example of the tree is there, and there are many trees around us here, but um, we seldom think of this verse of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, although we're surrounded by by trees, to remind us of the necessity to be tolerant. And the tolerance there is um, such as Mahaprabhu uh, intends it, um, with the example of the tree, it's meant to extend to the uh, uh, to compassion. Hmm? The tree stands and tolerates the elements which for us are difficult to tolerate. The heat, the cold, for example, the rain. Hmm? And in the context of tolerating it, tolerating these elements, it also provides shelter for us from the rain, shade from the heat, and some warmth under the tree, even in the cold. Hmm? So, it's a call for tolerance, and tolerance, based on some higher knowledge, should give rise to some sense of compassion for those who are difficult to tolerate for one reason, because of their ignorance, really, which manifests in many ways. Um, and so, at the same, well, and at the same time, I should say. Um, that we are uh, mandated. This is the, the fourfold decorum of the devotees mandated by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. It's the way to prem. Hmm? Chanting with this, uh, in this state of mind, humility, like the blade of grass, tolerance like the tree, offering respect to others, expecting no honor for oneself. Hmm? Um, but with regard to the tolerance, while this is mandated, there's another thing that's also mandated, and that is that we create a favorable environment for our practice. So I like to explain that that um, in the beginning stages, we need to emphasize this point of creating a favorable environment. We need sadhusanga, we need some like-minded uh, persons and so forth. Um, uh, a setting like this is a nice, very nice setting for for practice. Um, we see the Goswamis of Vrindavan. If you go to their places of practice, um, some of them even today are very um, peaceful and um, conducive, even with all the busyness and whatnot in Vrindavan. I want to speak of what they must have been like 500 years ago. So Nathan Goswami's place of of, of bhajan is, always comes to my mind on the hilltop as it is lo, looking out over the Jamuna Delta it's very very beautiful so just, you can just try to transport yourself back 
500 years and see they, they've created very, found very, very um, favorable, conducive environments for their bhajan. So that example is there. And then in the context of that, then there will be the opportunity to tolerate that arises. That's inevitable. But we don't look for tolerance, things to tolerate. Some of my godbrothers have advocated to me that that I should um, uh, uh, serve in the way they are in uh, in Prabhupada's institution because the, the, the governing body offers a great opportunity to cultivate tolerance. <laughs> I said, I have plenty of opportunities for that. I don't need to <laughs> go after them. <laughs> There's plenty of opportunities for that. No shortage. So, so within the context of a favorable environment, you know, and that, that of course, you have to be honest about that. You know, you can't keep looking for the favorable environment. Always use it as an excuse not to tolerate. Hmm. Um, and always looking for greener grasses and so forth. So, within the context of a favorable environment, there will be opportunities to tolerate. And um, so we should uh, cultivate that. Hmm. And it should rise to the point of... Um, Tolerance, and if you know better, and things that others are doing are uh, difficult to tolerate, then you should show, by example, hmm, or know how to cr- constructively criticize in such a way that persons will be enthused hmm, to uh, to improve. Um, when Chaitanya Mahaprabhu cleansed the uh, Gundicha temple, then he personally engaged in the cleansing and he engaged all of his associates in that. And afterwards, he had them line up and and place in front of them all the pile of straw and dust that they collected. Then he would go and inspect. And if he saw that one had collected very well and the person next to him had not, then he would chastise the person who had collected very nicely. So why you didn't teach your your brother here to do the same? So so tolerance and and and, and compassion they they go together in Mahaprabhu's um, mandate. And um, and that said, then you're asking about. Um, Tolerating, so you seem to be asking about tolerating. Well, you ask about giving up the association of people who aren't favorable to bhakti, and how that works in relation to tolerance. Hmm. So, oh, no, we should. Uh, this is a very important principle, asatsanga tyag, striyavaishnavacha, to give up the uh, the association of non devotees is very important. Um, because whom we associate with will create some scar within us and tendency to act and and habits will rub off and so forth. So um, we should give up the association of those that are um, those who are non devotees, but that association then means to uh, embrace the same ideas, 
That's what it means to associate. Um, you may be sitting there, Prabhupada would give an example, at some ten feet from me, and a fly may be on my lap, very close to me, but hopefully you will be more associated with me than the fly because of connecting with me in a consciousness sense, hmm? identifying with what I teach and exemplify in a way that the, the insect could not. And so physical proximity is not the, uh, the, uh, the uh, sum and substance of what it means to, for example, touch the lotus feet of the, of the guru. One time we were sitting on Ujjapachita Marsh's veranda and after the talk, one fellow uh, from another institution who was visiting made this big commotion to try to touch his feet. And there was some, you know, people tripping over almost. And, and so Sridhar said, look, what's going on? He was, he was like 80, 90% blind. What's happening? And he realized what was happening. He said, oh, he said, that's what you think it means when it says to touch the lotus feet of the sadhu. Hmm. That is your understanding. And then he commented, it's not by simply by physical, approximately the same point, but by consciousness, to embrace the same consciousness. He was the guy who was, during the talk, chanting to get his rounds done. Because if we don't do, you know, you turn into a pumpkin at the end of the day. <laughs> He didn't know when to, you know, when the rule could be transcended, so to speak. So, um, so you know, we have to meet sometimes people. You mentioned a neighbor. We may have a neighbor who makes noise. Usually, the neighbor doesn't, but lately there's been some noise there. And we have to tolerate them, or they come over. Let's say they come over, you know, for something, and so, so, in the name of asatsangatya, giving up non-devotee association, we don't just ignore them or treat them rudely or anything like that. Indeed, while it is true that we should give up the association of non-devotees, it's also said that worship of the deity, hmm, that. At, that on the one side there's worship of the deity, where on the other side there is um, some disregard for the, the common people hmm? and uh, the inability to 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 see or to to think consciously that uh, God is in the heart of every living being hmm? and show respect to others, kindness to others, and so forth that worship of the deity that is one side of the coin and the other side is dealing with ordinary people in that way. Hmm. Um, that deity worship is said to be like offering ashes to the fire, which would only put the fire out. Hmm. So Bhaktivinoda said, similarly, Jivedoi Krishnanam Sarvadharma Sara. The essence of Dharma is is uh, chanting the holy name and showing kindness to others. So devotees show kindness to others. They give association to others. It's one thing to give up the association of others who are um, not um, favorable to bhakti. It's another thing to try to give them 
association. Obviously, you can't associate too intimately with them because they don't have enough in common, but you show compassion, kindness, and general respect for other living beings, especially if anybody comes to the, to the ashram. We think that Gornatai has brought them here for some reason. Hmm? What's it all about? What's their past that allows them to come here and step on the grounds and, and so forth? Hmm? Um, so we look at them with that kind of uh, idea in mind. So, yes, we should create a favorable environment within the context of that. We should we should tolerate, we should show respect to other beings. We should not embrace the ideas of materialistic people, hmm. which is what it means to associate with them. Because if you associate with people, what do you do? Well, you eat with them. Hmm. That's a way of, that's a form of, you know, let's, you want to do lunch, they say, you know. Okay, so there's a way of associating. And then, of course, you have your own standards of, of um, consumption and so forth, and you offer your food, you have to take only Krishna Prashadam, <coughs> so you're not, you know, <coughs> you'd rather not do lunch, something like that. Uh, but you readily invite them, you know, to come to the temple, take prasad, and so forth. But anyway, eating with people is a, is a, is a time of intimacy where you're there's you're supposed to be relaxed while eating, so that you can digest nicely, and and so there'll be some conversation and so forth. People share ideas at that time. At that time, defenses are dropped. Supposed to be during eating, and. And um, you're getting some energy from food, feeling good, and so the head starts to spin a little bit, and you talk about what you're about, what you're interested in, and so forth. And we want to create an environment like that for taking prasadam. Also, when we're serving prasadam, you want to make people feel like you're not there, but there's just an unlimited supply of prasadam, you know, to come on the plate, and and so forth. Um, uh, so, typically, then, uh, when taking a meal, you're relaxed and ideas will go and be absorbed and and so forth. So, um, you, you, you don't want to be in a situation like that. You might have to be socially for some reason, and then, of course, you're not going to be relaxed in the association of non-devotees, and you're going to be a little careful what you take in and so forth, even if you have to take a meal, let's say, with some relatives or something who are non-devotees and and for social reasons, your guru thinks it's good to spend a little time with them so they don't they don't uh, think overly unfavorably towards bhakti, something <laughs> like that. So your austerity will be to go home for Thanksgiving and you know, as for a tofurkey, you know, <laughs> instead of a turkey, um, and make everybody uncomfortable <laughs> during the meal, so that nobody can share too many of their materialistic ideas. No, so, <laughs> so, um, so, what it means to associate with people, you know, is to share ideas and and, and um, embrace the same ideas. That's the basic idea of that. So, it's not just you meet somebody and 
oh God, there's another. I mean, there are things where I saw an on devotee, I've got to go jump in the waterfall. Down below, you know, there's a waterfall down below here, in the river. Someday you should go swimming there on the hot days. It's quite nice. Um, but uh, but uh, not like that. Hmm. Better, uh, they say, good, uh, best defense is a good offense, like that. So you, you have something to offer. Hmm. So that they're taking in what what you've imbibed rather than you taking it with their... Now, I don't know if that answers your question because you might have something particular on your mind hmm? that's that's not being addressed. If so, you have to speak more. Um, just a certain person, uh, Prabhupada Lynch, to be more specific, that... Uh, it's unfavorable. Yeah, very... In my opinion, very unfavorable for... Uh, there are some people like that there, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Yeah, they should be. They should be avoided. Yeah, um, they can be avoided. They can be told that they're what they are, um, and um, yeah, they, they they should. Those people should be uh, avoided. Vaishnava aparadis, basically, that's another category. So you have the common people. You have the devotees. And then you have the Aparadis, most unfortunate group of people. We don't have any tolerance for them. <laughs> we don't tolerate that. But that, that's nothing personal, but they are offending our Guru, our Vaishnavas, Bhagwan, and so we don't, we don't have any tolerance for that. They should be avoided. Does that help? Mm-hmm. Thank you. Anything else? Yes. Um, you've been speaking a verse a lot from the Chaitanya Charitamrita. You may have given a class on this in your lecture series, but I haven't heard all of them. That um, Chaitanya Lila is like a lake, and Krishna Lila is like many rivers coming from that lake. Right. I wondered if you could talk on that. I'm not quite understanding. Uh huh. Well, that's Krishnadas's poetry. Um, he wants to say that uh, I'll give you a, uh, a, a kind of a poetic sutra-like rendering of that uh, by Pujapad Sridhar Maharaj. First the giver, then the gift. Hmm? So the gift is Radha Krishna Lila, hmm? and the giver is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm? So Indeed, when we receive a gift from someone, if it's heartfelt, then we think more of the person than of the gift itself. Our thoughts go to them. And indeed, our thoughts stay with them whenever we use the gift. I always think of people give me soap and then, uh, you know, whenever I'm taking a shower, I'm thinking of them. <laughs> and that person gave me that soap, that devotee. That's nice. What kind of soap is that? And so on. So your thoughts go to them, your heart goes to them, naturally. So the, the giver is what stands out in the gift, in one sense. And so as extraordinary as the gift of Chaitanya Lila is, or excuse me, Krishna Lila is, which Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was giving to the world, 
so much more than is the extraordinary is is the giver. So, Krishnadas has a lot of um, appreciation there for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. We often, of course, there's more to it because we often think of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as the giver, and then people think of it as he he gave this. There are even some lineages that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu gave Radha Krishna Leela to the world in a particular way. We are to take that, and in course of taking that, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Chaitanya Leela will disappear. There's some people who think like that. And that there's no, for example, um, Nitya Leela of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. We don't accept that idea. That's very unpalatable to us. Hmm. Indeed, if we look as deeply as possible within the Krishna Leela, we will find the zenith of the prakat, the manifest Leela, the earthly Leela, in the Ras Panchajai, in the, as recorded in the Bhagavatam, five chapters in the Rasa Leela. And that point reaches a high point where Krishna acknowledges his debt to Radhika, and the gopikas. Hmm? This is the high point of the Bhagavatam. Again, as I've said before, the Bhagavatam is not about Krishna. The Bhagavatam is about love of Krishna. And so, if we're going to talk about love of Krishna, well, we have to talk about Krishna. That's a secondary thing. Hmm? So, um, when the, the, this ideal of the gopis' love is showcased in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's, or Krishna's paying his respect to it there and acknowledging himself as a debtor hmm, whose debt cannot be, uh, is such that, that he doesn't think he can repay the debt. Hmm. They have uh, defeated him hmm, in terms of his promise to be able to reciprocate in kind for the devotees' love and the way they approach him. Hmm. And he says he can't, they have to be satisfied with the approach itself. Hmm? Um, and, and indeed, he, uh, um, in um, the best he can do there, he says, to try to compensate is to enlist himself in the very service that they have to be satisfied with. Hmm. They become a servant of that service. Hmm. And which is, as, the, as Bhagavatam says, which is sadhuna, sadhu-like. Hmm. This verse comes after the gopis make some complaints to him. What kind of lover are you? Hmm. And uh, Krishna speaks that there's what do you say? There's four kinds of lovers, hmm? and uh, it's a long explanation. But then he shows himself to be none of them, but of them, one type is those who love whether or not the object of love reciprocates. He said, "This is the love of the sadhus, and you're like that. Your love for me is like that." Hmm? And so he, he's very witty, so he kind of gets out of the, the jam, so to speak, that they kind of try to corner him within. And the way he gets out of it, he says, he says that the reason that I left 
disappeared, which is what you're complaining about. What kind of lover is this? Here we come in the middle of the night, we risk everything, we do what we're told, and you, then, you, then you give us the cold shoulder, and finally, when you screen us and ask us all these questions about what are we doing there from a dharmic perspective, from a gyan perspective, and then we answer you and show you that we haven't come here with a motive tinged by gyan or karma. Hmm? Our bhakti is anukulena, krishna anushilam, bhaktaruttama, gyan karmadi anabritam. Hmm? It's the beginning of the Rasalila. Hmm? Then you begin to dance with us, and then you, and the, the Ras commences, and then you disappear. Hmm? And okay, you went with Radhika, we see, oh, when we catch up with her, we see, and you left her, then we see that her separation, and agony of separation, exceeds that of all of us combined, so we can understand her special position. That's great, but then you left her. Too. So, what, what kind of guy are you? <laughs> what kind of lover are you? This is the question they ask him when he returns humbly, hmm? so observing what happens to them, hmm? contemplating his um, his separation, experiencing his separation. They do kirtan, hmm? guna kirtan, describing the qualities of Krishna so forth along the banks of the Jamuna, and then he reappears. That's the picture on Stadik Vedanta. Hmm? And so they ask him, what kind of lover are you? He says, well, you know, the different kinds of lovers. You know, they're, they're those that, uh, that don't reciprocate when other people mm, offer love. There are those who reciprocate even when others don't reciprocate. There are those who are atmaram, self-satisfied. Whether people love them or not doesn't matter to them. Mm. So he gives different kinds of lovers. But of those who love, even when the object of love doesn't reciprocate. He said, this is like sadhus, and you're like that. Hmm? That's what your love is like. My love is different. Hmm? Um, and, and, and what you really want to know is the reason why I disappeared. And the reason why I disappeared was because I wanted to showcase your love, the love of sadhus. This is the highest thing. I wanted to showcase it. Hmm? And though my disappearance, it's come out. Hmm? And even I'm startled by it. And and I confess to the whole world, I want to confess to the whole world, to you and the whole world, that there's nothing that exceeds your love in terms of any attainment. And so I am committed to the sadhuness of your um, love to such a measure that I will become a sadhu. This is the implication. That I will become a sadhu and I will worship that love, and I will enlist others in that love. Hmm? So that, of course, is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm? This is the very the center of the whole Bhagavatam, the, the, the apex, the zenith of it, the, the, the climax of the whole thing. And when he says that, then the gopis, they become embarrassed. They think, oh, we try to criticize him. Let's just see. He's only glorifying us. He did this only to glorify us. And we were finding fault in him. And on his mind, he only had glorifying us in mind. How terrible we are. Just see what is it, how mean-spirited we are, how perfect he is in every way. That's how they're thinking. And so this is then the, the esoteric birth, if you will, 
of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. The lila goes in a in a circle, so it has no beginning, it has no end. It starts. Pujapatrita Marsh once explained uh, the uh, the Janamastami, so to speak, the, the birth of Krishna, um, as we are preparing to celebrate. Uh, uh, in this way, to make the point of the eternal nature of the Leela has no beginning. Even with beginnings, it has no beginning. He said that the uh, that that Mother Yashoda, like for example, Uddhava, he came to Vrindavan to bring a message to the inhabitants. And when he met, he first met, he parked his chariot outside of Nanda Maharaj's house. And um, so they woke up in the morning, a respectable person, must be some respectable person from the big city, Mathura is here. Uddhava, he looked like Krishna, very charming. They had him come in, of course. And and, um, and they began to ask about Krishna. And so seeing Nanda Maharaj asking about Krishna with such intensity and such love, Uddhava just was overwhelmed and he said, you're so fortunate. You know, the measure of your love for Krishna is so ex- extraordinary. And then Nanda Maharaj says, fortunate? You say, I'm fortunate? Because my son is God. Hmm? And, 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 and here he is. If that's true, then see how unfortunate I am because my son is God and he's gone away. Hmm? And I can't have his association. He's left home. You know, at 11 years old, he's left home. Hmm? You tell him, I have, a, I have a wonderful son and he's God. It's incredible. And you think, I'm fortunate. Hmm? I'm the most unfortunate person. Hmm? He left. Hmm? And, he, and, he, and, and, and he starts to go on that side. Hmm? And Mother Yasoda just enters like a catatonic state, you know, like, a, like an embryonic, you know. She just and the Uddhava is just like, what did I do? Where am I? What kind of people are these people? Their love for Krishna is so extraordinary. Hmm? And so he has to try to say something and pacify them, and excuse himself. And so Nanda Maharaj and tries to revive Mother Yashoda and they're thinking, they're talking how unfortunate they are and how that they don't have a son, that they have a son, he's God, we're told, and he's left, and and, and so forth. And they're thinking like this and, and they're thinking, we, we, we must be crazy, you know. And, and is this true? We have a son, he's God, and maybe it's not, Maybe it's just a story, yeah. I mean, and then, and then they, the circle starts to change, and they say, "We should have a son. Let's have a son. We should have a son. He should be as as better than God. Hmm? We want to have a son, and he should be more beautiful than Narayan. What do you think? Yes, I agree. How is that possible? And then Leela starts again. Hmm? It goes around. You understand? Yes, have a son. Yes." And, how, and then they try to have a son. They can't have a son because each of them are thinking they should be better than Narayan and they think that's not possible. So then they have a vow. They take a vow to worship Narayan for one year. The Odyssey type of vow. Very austere vow for one year. And then Narayan appears in the dream, gives him a blessing. You're going to have a son. He's going to look like me. Something like that. So it goes around again, starts again. Something like that. So... So, so we say the birth of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm? 
this whole Janamastami is really about diksha. That's what it's about. From the Adibhautic perspective, it's about diksha. The, the, the birth of Krishna in your life, beginning in your life, in your heart. This is where the Leela is taking place, really, in every devotee's heart. And uh, so, and that's the human-like Leela taking place in the human heart, <laughs> which is a special Leela. And uh, yeah, we, we, we talk about it manifesting in the world. We can't trace that out and so forth, but we can, we can certainly trace it out in the heart, the human heart of the devotees. And it's more human-like there. And, and we're told from an adhyatmic perspective that it manifests in the world also. The, the, the under the, 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 the undercurrent the reality comes forward shows itself like some type of as I said the other day some type of the Dham is some type of like Bermuda triangle the Vrindavan the Dham triangle between Puri Navadweep and Vrindavan if you enter into that triangle You'll never return. He went there. Where did he go? He never came out. She's gone now. She's here, but she's gone. Hmm? The black snake, Krishna has bitten her. Hmm? She's poisoned. She cannot anymore participate in the world. Hmm? Hmm? Doesn't know the difference between her blouse and her skirt. Hmm? Confused. Here, but not here. So the Leela's here, but not here. From the Adiyatmic perspective, we try to make it here in every physical way and so forth. From the Adiyatmic perspective, we can have a broader idea. From the Adiyatmic perspective, then the external world goes within. And the whole material world becomes... Spirit, Vishvampura Sukhayate. Vishvana says, the world becomes an abode of happiness. The devotee looks and sees Krishna everywhere. That becomes a worshipable thing by other devotees. Oh, Krishna's there. The devotee's bhav causes him to see something, a stone. And there is Narasimha. And people go, there, there, there he is. I can see him. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe put an eye on him here, put a, put a mouth on him. He's there. He's there. See? <laughs> they, it's just the adiatmic perspective. They have to make it physically there because they're physically oriented. Hmm? Hmm? Even though he's a sadhaka, still he, 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 he theoretically says, I'm not this body, but he acts like I am this body and mind most of the time. tries to change that, and, which means not to starve oneself or to... Mm, a little sleep deprivation is good, but uh, you need a good rest too. But, but to use one's senses only in the service of Krishna. We're not jnanis or tapasvis who say, I'm not the body, therefore... Um, There was a guy, Sanyasi, another institution that I was in years ago, and uh, 
when they got a temple in one city. It was it was actually the old Chicago temple. I think it was the old I think it was the old Chicago temple, which was in a YMCA, old YMCA in Evanston. And um, he came in with a hacksaw and cut off the hot water. You know, I don't know somehow he cut it off. I guess there's a bit of another ways to do it, but anyway, he cut off the. It's only cold water, you know. Once one of my godless asked Prabhupada, is it all right sometimes to take a hot shower? He said, Prabhupada said, how will you become clean if you don't? <laughs> uh, so these kind of examples of taking something, you're not the body, then in an extreme way, is an example of gyan, for example, influencing bhakti. Hmm? We come from jnana, we come from karma. These are the two tracks on which the world runs. Boga, to enjoy, tyag, to give it up. Because hmm? it turns out not to be so enjoyable. It's two sides of the same coin. Um, raja, raga dvesha, raga dvesha, attachment and um, Rejection hmm, of a thing, liking a thing, hating a thing. Hmm. Like I see this propaganda, you know, for the two sides of the war, Israel or the Palestinians, and people take people just are engaged in hating. You know, it's just ignorance. It's just the bodily conception of life. That's all it is, and devotees jump in and hate one side. And and you know champion the cause of the other, and they're just basically doing the same thing. It's a soup of relativity, and even if you sort it out that this one is actually to blame because this was their land or whatever, you know, I don't know. I never got into it, but um, obviously there's a big complicated argument. But it all comes down to just nationalism, bodily conception of life. That's all. Sounds like a simple solution, and it is, but it's not so easy to put in practice. You're not that nation. You're not the body. You're so that just ends the whole thing. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Take prashanam. <laughs> I mean, it is. You could see Prabhupada looking at it just going, "This is a solution to all the world problems." And people are rather naive. Problems are a little more complex than that, Swamiji. No, it's it's pretty complex. It's pretty pretty much. Oh, what a web we weave when at first we choose to deceive. So the deception is, I am this body. Oh, my God. And what happens after that? How entangling it becomes and what a mess. But, you know, the solution is, is theoretically, is very simple. Hmm. To apply it, it's a little difficult. So, so even when we come to bhakti, we come from moving on these two sides of the same coin, raga, desha, attachment, and... Um, you know, hatred, love and hatred. I love this, I hate that. I like this, I don't like that. Bhogatyag, uh, so, so therefore, Gyankamadi and Abhritam, these shouldn't cover us. So, example of this Gyan covering Bhakti, they think, unless I perform certain austerities in and of themselves, hmm, my Bhakti will be hampered or my Bhakti will be enhanced if I do perform them. Hmm? But really, 
with regard to austerity and detachment that um, is a it's a corollary of knowledge in the Gyanmarg you find detachment for its own sake. <coughs> in bhakti, we find detachment only when it's necessary for serving Krishna. And if it's necessary to enjoy for Krishna, then we'll enjoy the senses. That's for why Rupa Goswami says, eligibility for bhakti involves not being too detached and not be, being too attached. Hmm? Because for Krishna's service, you know, you, you have to, you know, if you take, if you have a, you have to enjoy it. You cannot you know, not enjoy it. And to say, no, no, I'm fasting. That becomes an aparad. If, if someone offers, please take prashad. Then you take. Maybe you have to save it for later and take a little bit. But, but not to honor in the name of fasting. What is that? This is, this is offense. And this is, this is gyan covering, covering bhakti. So... No, we'll do austerities in the context of loving Krishna. Something has to be given up because loving Krishna requires it here, then I'll do that. If it's uncomfortable for my mind or senses, but it's good for bhakti, then I do. That's our, our austerity. Hmm? So, what was the point we were making? The Adhyatmika stage. Adhyatmika, yeah. So in the Adhyatmika stage, we're still, theoretically, we're not the body, and I'm just explaining that when we think about that, how you want to change that is that you want to use your senses only in relation to sense objects for the service of Krishna. This is bhakti. Material life means not flesh and blood. It means working for the satisfaction of your senses or your mentally conceived sense of self. And bhakti means to work for the satisfaction of Krishna's senses. Rishikena Rishikesha Sevanam Bhakti Rutam. And this Sarvopadi Vanir Muktam, you come out from underneath the bodily conception of life by doing that. So this is the difference between material and spiritual. Hmm? It's very subtle, in other words. Hmm? That's why you can have a spiritual person in the world that looks spiritual to me. Looks like he's made out of the same stuff. It's material. Hmm. Right? You call it a spiritual book, but we could just burn it. Hmm. So, these are the sadhaka deha, the dham, the text, the deity. These are meeting points between eternity and uh, the temporal, the temporal and the eternal. Meeting points. Hmm. That if you approach them, Properly, as taught, you'll experience the eternal hmm? and more. Hmm? If you read the book in the right way, the right attitude, then you'll worship the book. Why are you worshiping a book? Just paper. Hmm? You understand? So, this is the difference between material and spiritual. It's <coughs> subtle than people think. But at any rate, from the adiatic perspective, then, although we're not the body, we know that, we have a sadhaka, we tend to think of ourselves as such, and we still have material thoughts that come in the mind, and attraction for sense objects for material purposes, and sometimes we find ourselves going there, and so forth. 
We have a song scar for it. That's why we get into kirtan, make loud noises, and so forth, to put a bhakti song scar on the on the mind, in the chitta, and push out the other ones, get some little this little experience. You know, you know, you don't want to stand there like this, hands in your pocket or something. You have to get into that. Then you get little experience this is good and they build on that hmm? so in kirtan that's most efficacious for for Kali Yuga so so anyway from the adhyatmic perspective then we, this is what we tend to do we want to physicalize everything and verify Krishna in uh, physical terms so from the Adi, Adi, Adi Daivik perspective a superlative devotee sees everything in the world as reminding him of Krishna. He only sees Krishna directly and indirectly. You know, so he just just like somebody put up a comic, or Grinish to put up his comic. You know, no fear. You know, I put a comment on there. It's just another way of speaking about Raghunuga Bhakti. What? And the monster's head's coming. You saw the comment? Monster's head's coming out of the lake. And What was the comic it said? Don't feed the fears. Feed the fears. Something like that. It was a, psych- a psychological comment. But I, I naturally just kind of took it to, oh, think of it like that. So your mind will start to change like this. Hmm, right? There's a story... Pujapad Sridharmarsh told of two devotees. They were walking and, and engaging in Harikata. And uh, one, uh, one vulture flew over. And they, one of the devotees saw the vulture and said, Haribo! And the other devotee said, What's a Haribo? And you see a vulture. Vulture is preoccupied with death, looking for dead things living on dead things, and so forth. And um, this is just like the mind. It lives on dead things, tries to make things dead, like itself, mind and intelligence, even spiritual things. So, but, And he said, no, no, when I think of the vulture, then I think my mind immediately goes to the cremation grounds. He said, that's what I mean. No, no, and, and there, the cows that have died naturally... Hmm. they give their skin and a leather from the murdanga is made, and then boom, Haribo, Haribo. <laughs> so I see the vulture, and immediately I'm thinking, Haribo, Kirtan. Hmm. The other devotee was, oh, I was amazed hmm. how his mind would, would work hmm. and turn everything without you know trying in a natural way, just, just turn to Krishna consciousness, what it means to see Krishna everywhere. Hmm. And so, that from that perspective, then, as I say, the whole, from the other end of the spectrum, the adhyatmic, you try to, try to take the subjective world of consciousness and physicalize it to make it valid, because we're physically oriented. And um, from the adhyatmic perspective, we, we're balancing both things, looking at the spiritual in relation to the material and so forth, uh, and uh, seeing how it how it fits and how it it doesn't fit doesn't fit in a fanatical adi, adiatmic 
way. From an erotic perspective, it can fit, and you go to the underlying philosophy, and um, and Putna can be, you know, twelve miles long or whatever. So then, uh, but from the Adidaivic perspective, then the whole then it's, then the, in the spiritual, the material world, just the opposite of the Adiatmic. The material world comes inside the spiritual world. The objective world comes inside the subjective world. He sees everything. Then we want to paint a face on it because we can't quite see. Well, he must be there. He said so. The bhav is projected onto matter, and matter that that projection onto that shape becomes something worshipable. This is how the devotees, the Goswamis, excavated the place of Krishna's pastimes. And then the Kanishtadikaris and the Adhyatmic perspective types, the kings all came and built monuments there and and so forth, which is what they should do. Hmm? So, um, somehow we got into that um, in the context of speaking about Chaitanya Lila. I was speaking, I guess, about Mm, no beginnings and how the lila, the birth of Krishna. This is this is diksha, the beginning in our in in, in our lives, <clears throat> and and so deep within uh, the Krishna lila, then we find this birth, so to speak, of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So at the high point of Krishna <coughs> lila, we find Gaur lila, and then. While so while while then Gorlila starts to take shape, and uh, we find the giver, and the giver is giving Krishna Lila. Hmm? But again, if we go deep into Krishna Lila, we find Gorlila. Gorlila is the extension of Krishna Lila, and and it, the, the extent to which we have appreciation for Gorlila is is evidenced by the fact that we have reached the conclusion that Krishna Lila was a failure. Hmm? Gaur Lila is the solution to the problems, the failure of Krishna Lila. Because mm-hmm. Krishna Lila is all about Krishna's tasting. Mm-hmm. And there was a problem. He found a problem in his capacity to taste taste rasa. Rasaraj mm-hmm. had a problem with this. So 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 much for Krishna Lila. Mm-hmm. More for the giver than than the gift. So this is the spirit behind Kaviraj's statement, because he's the fountain. Because of him, then Krishna Lila is going in all directions. I mean, the, the Bhagavatam's depths have been plumbed by the Goswamis, the followers of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. They're bringing out so much about Krishna Lila, flooding the world with its significance and so forth. And if you look real carefully at all what they're saying, it all comes to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm? So, in this way, he's the fountain. Hmm? And and like the reservoir, hmm? and Krishna Lila, like rivers going in all all directions. That help. It's a very beautiful idea. Hmm. What else? What's the time? Seven. Okay. Well, nice to be with you. Nice to have the book distributors back. Another question? Okay, 
Well, I want to do justice to it. So, we don't have a lot of time left. But Just kind of a follow-up question on that. Okay. Seems you were mentioning during Prabhupada's time took a largely adhyatmika kind of approach to outreach and to preaching. So how do you make the determination um, like what, what style of preaching is most suitable for a time and circumstance? Because it seems you're taking more of kind of an adhyatmika stance, especially with the new book that you're coming out with. Well, I think I do that in general. Um, I don't I've done it to some extent in the book in areas where I thought it um, it was necessary to try to explain concepts hmm, core concepts of Gaudi Vaishnavism in a way that um, takes into consideration the way people think and much of that based on evidence observable evidence and so forth um, and so which bring, makes it relevant um, I, th- I think it uh, you know it, it, it depends on the uh, the circumstances when Prabhupada brought Gaudi Vaishnavism to the Western world, the idea itself is just very big and interesting, mm-hmm. um, theologically, and um, and there at that time there wasn't a lot of influence of Eastern thought, mm-hmm. spiritual thought. Prabhupada others brought in different ways, yogis and whatnot, but. This was the kind of the beginning of that, in the late 50s, early 60s. Mm. Um, and so, they, you know, Vedanta, for example, um, I'll give an example. Even even before that, when Vivekananda came, Vivekananda must have come 100 years earlier or something like that. Mm. And um, this is a time when in um, in America, the influence of Darwin was the implications of Darwinism, as they were thought of in that time, um, and they still are to some today. They were they, they were thought of as being cha- very challenging to previously held religious conceptions of origins and so forth. And so, um, when Vivekananda and um, some Buddhists spoke at the Parliament of Religions in Chicago and so forth. Some people latched on to this idea how they could have spirituality in a way that would not be in conflict with what was appearing to them and at the time, and it does to, to more people today as well, to be an observable you know, kind of fact, although you really can't observe Darwinian evolution, it's impossible to observe it, obviously, um, because the changes are said to take place over, you know, such long periods of time. Maybe if we can, you know, digitize the time, you know, over, you know, millions of years into the future, then you could, you know, you could prove it, something like that, if it was proved. But, um, but they were challenged by that, and, 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 and the broader kind of perspective of Vedanta, I mean, this is Buddhism and Vedanta. Gaudi Vaishnavism is way broader in its theological map and so forth, and way more theistic. But at any rate, they saw it as a a way to maintain 
a spiritual um, viewpoint without being in conflict with reason, with observable evidence, and so on. And um, so, you know, you embrace it. But if you look deeply at it, you know, Vedanta is also in conflict with, uh, with uh, some of the ideas of... Um, some of the what are thought to be the implications of Darwinian evolution, whether they are the, fully the implications, that's another thing. But anyway, so in the beginning, when Prabhupada presented also, this was a, just a huge, wow, you know, Krishna and the magic world of Krishna and so, and so forth, information about God that's just like, you know, better than he has no face, you know, kind of idea. You, know, you can't say anything about him except that he exists. Um, or very, very little, yeah. um, such information, and then, then a clear idea, a sattvic idea, that you're not, that the consciousness is different than matter, and uh, in, a, in a simple kind of uh, presentation, that, that for someone who was raised as a Catholic, you never heard that you weren't the body. I mean, I was just like, wow, what a far-out idea, you know? Just, whoa, that's different, hmm? And so all of a sudden, you're, you know, the, the framework of, for your religious conception just seems so large, it makes the worldly ideas look so small. And so, you, you know, you jump in and so forth. Then, you know, um, so, but as time goes on, and thought develops, and, um, and, uh, and with science, there are different observations and, and so forth. Then you have to go back and, you know, again, broaden the perspective, so to speak. It's it, 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 you were not living in a village, you know. Even when the Goswami spoke about Gaudiya Vaishnavism, there were six or eight philosophies in the world. You know, there was Vedanta. There, there was you know the uh, Yoga philosophy, uh, Sankhya, Vaisheshika, Karma Mimamsa, Nyaya. And there's the Buddhism, hmm? you know, and that's it. Hmm? I mean, uh, Europe was just starting to philosophize a bit over there, and and so on. Now, I mean, it's just like for every, you know, one. It's like we got you know four, five versions of Vedanta. So if you want to look at you know the that. Consciousness is, you know, uh, physical. You know, dozens of types of physicalism, and and I mean, just like it's just so many, so so many thoughts, so many ideas, and so forth. So that's a time. Obviously, you you you, you take Bhaktivinoda talk where he was speaking, you know, from an adibotic kind of perspective and writing often, well, in some texts, Krishna Samhita in particular. He, so he was looking at ideas and seeing that, you know, the, the challenge to them and trying to meet them and and, uh, and, and, and not just dismiss them, but consider hmm, there's some validity to what they're, you know, saying and so forth and how to think of our tradition in relation to that. He was doing that. Um, and I think so he, he kind of set the, the pace for that well, Prabhupada didn't do that. There were reasons why he didn't have to. Hmm? 
who his audience was, young dropouts, and so forth, who kind of just took it and, and, and were part of a time where all kind of ideas were being challenged. Hmm? Authority was being challenged, and, and uh, that was normal, and so forth. Um, and dismissed, and values were being dismissed, and, and so on. So it's not, you know, the same fertile type of revolutionary, you know, type of uh, environment that we live in now. And religion has been chased by people systematically, and um, there's a, an effort to really kind of uh, extinguish it and, uh, and so forth. Uh, and many more ideas and thoughts and so forth. So, but then again, it depends who you're talking about, talk, talking to. Some people just have a village mentality, you know. And that 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 that's they're they want to think about more complex issues. They're they're not burdened by an intellect that has to think about them. Um, but if you want, you know, a wider spread acceptance of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, and you want thoughtful and educated people to be involved, and, and then you have to you know, address the kind of things that are going to be on their minds. And that was a strategy of Prabhupada also. That was his idea, that you, you trickle down, you know, spirituality, <laughs> to, which, which was you get educated people, to, and then it trickles down to the common people. And they don't need it, because... That's, you see, all you need is to get the microphone. You cannot convince people who are strongly on the other side. Hmm? But if you have the microphone loud enough, then you make reasonable arguments. Hmm? People will come. People, most people don't need a lot of reasoning. Hmm? I mean, I, a lot, most people, when your group gets bigger, people don't come out of Shastriya Shraddha. That becomes a problem. They come for other reasons. And people come even, they like the group. They come, they think, what's the group like? What are the people like? Hmm? Are they together psychologically? Or are they this or that? And, and then um, if they're not, you know, for whatever psychological, politically correct reasons, you know, they're not, then they leave it. They don't. Sridhar Marsh, his idea was when he joined the mission, hmm, he was abused by some people. He thought, well, anyway, they, even if they abuse me here, I'm not leaving this. This is a good thing. You know, this, there might be some abuse here, but so that's what you want. That's the kind of people you want. Yeah. Not that we want to abuse anybody, but so we try to make it user friendly and in, 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 in every way. But but anyway, so um, you're asking, you know, when when to. Now's the time, <laughs> more more or less. Uh, but then, relative to who you're, who you're speaking to. Mm. But do you want? Yeah, you want to. You want to be able to um, demonstrate that your tradition has has the intellectual integrity. Mm. It's not just some crazy, you know, idea. It has intellectual. Integrity, which which doesn't mean that you have to prove everything, but you, that there's there's sound reasoning for a lot of ideas. Mm. You could take evidence and reason about it one way or another. From a reasoning point of view, each will be inconclusive. And we 
acknowledge that. The reasoning is inconclusive. But if you have good reasoning, it's equally good to the opposite reasoning. That good reasoning is supportive of Krishna consciousness. Or spiritual life, which is intu- naturally intuitive and good reasoning to support it as well. Then, you know, why accept some reasoning that's counterintuitive, that it's, it's, that's, uh, doesn't hold the same prospect? If there's no observable evidence to contradict it. Anyway, use your intelligence. Preaching is, a, you know, is an art and. It's, the art is about understanding where people are at and then how to make presentation to them. It will be compelling. But overall in the world today, I think there's great necessity to um, demonstrate the, that the teachings of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu have intellectual integrity and they have, they have power. Hmm? In today's world, they're dealing with essential topics in, in essential ways. Hmm. Okay, let's stop there. So you see, Gaur Nitananda Ki Jai, Gaur Bhakta Vrinda Ki Jai, Gaur Premanandi.